So I went to this commercial audition and I sat in and I was supposed to be playing a husband and wife. And so they basically. Both? Both. Mm-hmm. No, I was supposed to be playing a wife with my <laughs> husband. Oh my God. And I loved the commercial for a second. You I was, did. Like I pictured them like double screening it and you're I on one side as the wife that. and the other as the husband and you're doing conversation with each other. That would have been far more entertaining. This is for like a Dodge Ram and you get set up with like a random Jamoke. Anyway, we sit down, the auditor, the person running out of the audition, the casting director was super nice. I've never had this in an audition before and I support it and I love it. But she was like, um, I want to make sure everybody's okay. Like you're playing husband and wife. You might hold hands, hug, like touching. Are you both okay with that? Like touching. And I kid you not, we looked at each other and he looked back at her and he goes, I think we're okay with that. And I was like, whoa, answered for his wife, answered for his wife, answered for his wife. And I like caught me off guard, but I didn't totally clock it because I was in the middle of an audition and you want to make sure you like, are like, I'm game for anything. Yeah. Hire me. And then it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, right. He fucking answered for me. It's so hard to be an actor because you (laughs) end up having to act like you like people all the time that you fucking hate. Yeah. That's one of the hardest parts, and right? And spoiler alert, I don't think I booked it. Ugh, insult to injury, <laughs> right? This week's really hard because we don't have any wine because it's an afternoon recording Well, sesh. we could have wine. That's never stopped us before. You're right. But, but we're going to be drinking will... a lot today because for all our <laughs> listeners and readers out there, Koa's <gasps> birthday party is today. His uh, two-year-old to... birthday party is today. That's the point of a two-year-old and one-year-old birthday party is for the adults to just get drunk. That's yeah, my Yeah, he thought. definitely doesn't know it's his birthday. And for the record, I heard you asking him when you got here. I wasn't going to say anything in front of him because I don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is. But I did hear you say to him that, like, how old are you or something? Yes. We can't do that. Let me tell you why. I know. Matt told me, but you should say it. Okay, I'm going to say it. Even if I get arrested, it's worth saying it. (laughs) Um, Because after, by the time this airs, it'll be after the situation. Yeah, and you know the head of JetBlue and United. This is their podcast. Well, we're sponsored by JetBlue and United, not Southwest. <laughs> no. But I do love Southwest. I'm a, I'm an avid Southwest fan. I live in Chicago and flying Southwest to New York. Cheap, beautiful, gorgeous. But Southwest is the only place where people can claim illiterate and, like, still win. When they're like, <laughs> C is not before A or, like, 40 Southwest, is I think not is one. the only airline that checks your kid's age. So, basically, we're <gasps> flying do? with Koa the day after he turns... Into a vampire. Oh, yeah, two. It turns into a vampire. We're going to see how it goes. Basically, I'm, like, just hoping the airline doesn't, like, prove his age because I can't. And... Does he have, like, a little ID? No. He has a... Is there anything that you They want you to bring his birth certificate. They do. I would never. I'm not going to... You know how... I would fucking lose that, first of all. (laughs) And second of all... I'm illegally telling them that he's younger than he is so that we don't have to buy the ticket. I want to be very clear. This is something that is like tale as old as time. The amount of times I would go to like Disney. I mean, really. Celine Dion, credit song. We get it. I'm not going to give Ariana Grande that credit because I go original 
90s Beauty and the Beast cartoon. I don't want the Emma Watson one. I'm sorry, Emma Watson, you're great, but I can't deal. Emma Watson, we love you. We love what you've done for women. Please, Please stop singing. Stop singing to us, and it's only going to be We know you're not French. Why bonjour with an English (laughs) accent? Do you know? Explain yourself. I mean, at least... Was it general Mm -hmm. Europe? Was it just like a, a Europe side town? Is that where we were? But that's the T though in terms of like all like European and I'm you can't see it, but I'm air quoting European. Is because everybody just gets like a British accent and they're like, ooh, like slightly British. <laughs> like, because they also wouldn't want to like uh, too aggressively place it in England. So they're yeah. like, just do kind of a, a little bit of a a dick accent. Yeah. Just act like you're kind of a dick. Like like you're like bilingual and yeah. you say things like croissant. Speak with an arrogant mm-hmm. accent, and, and the then whole, tell me bonjour. I love that. So Taylor's all this time. The amount of times my mom made me lie about my age growing up. I was 10 until I was 15. To what 15. end? Was it a children's menu It issue? was, no, it was Disney. It was any amusement park. It was like kids under five eat free. I'm like 10 years old, and my mom's like, you're fucking five. And I'd be like, I'm five. I remember it happening for like a long time. That's so funny. When Koa was a baby, before he could eat solid foods and we would go to restaurants, I would order off the kids' menu so that I could order off the kids' menu for me, <laughs> but I have a baby with me. So I'd be like, oh, what, do, what do you think he wants? Mac and cheese off the kids' menu? <laughs> and then I'd be like, it's weird. He's not eating it. He's fucking like four months. He'd never have a solid food in his life. And I'm over there eating my like um, $6 mac and cheese at the nice <laughs> restaurant. Well, because sometimes those bougie mac and cheeses are delicious. I, I did something embarrassing where I wear Stan Smith Adidas. I wear, like, those white sneakers, and I've had them, like, three mm. times. Love them. I found, I wear, like, a size seven and a half, eight in women's. Adidas makes them in kids that are $10 cheaper, and I'm a size, like, four in 100,000. I'm, I'm like, 400,000. <laughs> no, it's weird. Women's boys. seven and a half or eight is size, like, four or mm-hmm. four and a half in yeah. boys. And so I would go to the... Adidas store or Adidas, depending on if you're in a douchebag French. <laughs> so you would say Adidas. What film are you in? <laughs> what film? If I was in Emma Watson, Beauty and the Beast, I'd say Adidas. And if I was in Disney. Standard Issue, Angela Lansbury, mwah, I would say Adidas. Adidas. So, anyway, so I went to the Adidas store and I was like, do you have these in a size like four, four and a half? And they're like, yeah. So they get them out. I was like, ah, I'm an assistant. I'm just picking them up for my boss's kids. And I like rolled my eyes. When in reality, it was me. Your shoes. <laughs> it was my shoe, but I was embarrassed. I love because... it because it's so funny that you think that because like if you worked at an Adidas store, Adidas, you would not judge a person for that. You would be like, good hack. Well, it's also... I had a friend that worked at Starbucks and she Ooh. knew how to order there. So it was like, don't order like the caramel macchiato. Yes. Be like, I want an espresso with a caramel pump, a steamed milk. Like there was a way to order it where it was the exact drink and it was like a dollar fifty less. <gasps> Hacks. I'm telling you. Those are the things I need. I need those hacks. Well, we have to get jobs everywhere. (laughs) I worked at Jimmy John's in college. What's Jimmy John's? (gasps) Sarah, you look at Sarah's eyes are so white. Jimmy John's. Listen, the owner of Jimmy John's, bad guy. I think he's actually a bad dude. However, the sandwiches, the bread there, gorgeous. Loved it. I delivered sandwiches in college. I could make a sandwich under 30 seconds. I know how to hack that menu. Right. That's all I'm saying. I don't even know into the fact that I got a shitty... $50 bonus for memorizing the menu. Thank you. It's like a shitty mall job. 
It was definitely in a strip mall, but it was like in college and Midwest schools, it is the greatest drunk food ever because they deliver them so quickly and you can get one sandwich for like five bucks and they deliver it until like three in the morning. So you'd be like hammered and you'd get like an eight inch sub delivered to your home. Sounds like something we need here in New York City. The closest one is in Jersey. And I know people who have gone just to go to the Jimmy John's. Well, you can't be breaking even with the gas and the tolls on that deal. Certainly not. But sometimes you just need to like emotionally have a Jimmy. When I I go home to Chicago, I generally have a Jimmy John sandwich. They're delicious. They're fucking fantastic. I like to get a a Vito. A little salami, a little capricol, a little provolone. (laughs) (laughs) Are you in the mob? I just saw Godfather Part 2 last night. Oh, so you're in the mood. For sure I am in the mob. We've been talking a long time. I think um, for oh, those of you that stopped listening at Adidas, um, <laughs> well, you're not listening. That's your loss, frankly. <laughs> for the rest of you, uh, this is truly darkly creepy. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And we're here to tell you a couple tales. We're here to weave. <laughs> A that couple. are truly darkly creepy. They're going to be creepy. Fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a promise. That is the stamp of a guarantee Absolutely. of a truth. Of a truth. You go first. I went first last time, so okay. you go first. I'm going to go first. I'm going to tell you a very truly darkly creepy story. It is about <laughs> the Yuba County Five. Anyone? Anyone? No one? Yuba? Terrific. Where is Yuba? California. Gosh. California, weird shit happens there. Weird shit happens, and this is no... I have to give a shout-out to where I did my research, primarily Wikipedia. Ooh, Wikipedia! A little bit of Reddit rabbit holes, and actually a really excellent article from the Sacramento Bee. Ooh! Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you for your hard work. Made my work easy. (laughs) So, let me set the stage. Let me set the scene up here. On the night of, we're dealing with February 24th, 1978. Ooh, pre-social media. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A group of five young men from Yuba City, California, all having mild mental or psychiatric issues. They attend a college basketball game, and afterwards they stop at a local market for snacks and drinks, and they are later found dead, four (gasps) of them. One is... Never seen again. So he's been missing for 41 years. Oh, that poor Um, family. I'm going to give you a little profile here. We've got Bill Sterling, 29, Jack Hewitt, 24, Ted Weir, 32, and Jack Madruga, 30, were the four found dead. Gary Mathias, age 25 at the time, is the one that went missing. All of them lived with their parents. And they were referred collectively, like, in their community as the boys or the studs. It was kind of like this loving thing. They were, like, the cool guys in um, the handicapped community. And they, like, all hung together. They were, like, a club. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to tell you a little bit about them uh, first. Jack Madruga was 30 years old. He worked as a dishwasher at a dried fruit company, and he also helped Bill Sterling get a job there. Just to kind of give you a little bit more on Jack, family members said that he wasn't mentally impaired, but he was really slow in his thought processes. Mm -hmm. He could manage his own finances. He had been a driver for the Army for two years. And he and Matthias, the one that is missing, they were the only two of the five that had driver's license, which will come up later. Ted Weir, age 32, was a former janitor. He loved making new friends. 
Sounds like a great guy. So do I. But he lacked, like, basic common sense. Mm. And I'm going to give you some examples of that. His brother said that he once spent $100 on pencils uh, for no particular reason. I'm also like that. So I feel already <laughs> really, I feel very connected to Ted. Everything I read about him, I was like, fair. I, I've definitely been to Michael's and I've made some mistakes. His parents told investigators he would question instructions as simple as stopping at a stop sign. That was how they sort of characterized that. Also, once his parents' house, which again, he lived with them, it caught fire and the ceiling was burning above him while he was laying in bed. And they were like, you have to leave. And his brother was like, "You, we have to get out of here. The house is burning. And he was like, no, I have to get rest because I have work the next day and wouldn't leave his bed. Aww. He had to get carried out. So that's does kind of paint a picture, I think, of how his thought processes were impaired. Yeah. He had to be drug out of a burning house. Bill Sterling, 29 years old. The night that he left the house, he vanished with his $15 weekly allowance and um, maps of California, Sacramento, Stockton, and San Francisco. He worked at the Beale Air Force Base as a dishwasher in the early 70s, but then his mom found out that the airmen were getting him drunk and stealing his money, so she made him quit. Hewitt, age 24, he was the youngest, um, and he was the most severely handicapped of the five. He couldn't read, he couldn't write. I don't know whether he couldn't use a telephone, but I know that he never did. Like, he always had his mom or his, um, I think it was his brother, use the phone for him, even Mm -hmm. if he was calling, like, the boys in the group. It was, like, maybe a fear of using it, or he didn't understand how. I'm not totally clear on that. His bestie in the group was Ted Weir, and he was really shy. He had a speech impediment, and he didn't like being away from home for extended periods of time. So really like a kid. And I, yeah. I, in reading all this, I was reading a take on it from a cop who said something about, like, these kids that went missing. And they're all adults, but he, he didn't correct himself. He even went on to say they are kids. And I think it is so much about, like, mental capacity and how they needed to treat this case because of who these people were. But I also love that, like, they all were working at, like, the Air Force Base and military. Yeah. Like, is that, like, I'm curious about what that practice was. And I don't think that's how they met either because, well, I'll get to that. Was there, like, I wonder, like, in the 70s, if there was, like, a program for, like, the military to... Oh, could have You know, like, I'm curious about what that was. So we'll get to, now I'll just explain a little about Gary Mathias, the one that uh, was not found. Mm -hmm. He had army service in West Germany in the early 70s. He developed drug problems and he ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia and was psychiatrically discharged. Also lived with his parents. He moved in with his parents in California and he got treatment at a local hospital. I'm going to get into Gary a little bit later, but I will just say for now that he was... Nearly arrested for assault twice. He often suffered psychotic episodes. And he was basically treated as an outpatient from the Veterans Administration Hospital. He was considered by his physicians to be one of our sterling success cases, they said. He also supplemented the army disability he was getting. He worked at his, like, stepfather's gardening business. Mm -hmm. They say that his condition was controlled by meds. But this is interesting. He didn't bring his next dose or anything with him. So... When they went missing, he did not have like an additional so dose just, with him, okay, they know. Gotcha. So you would think that it was probably a plan that he would be back home 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he didn't bring any medicine with him. All the five guys, like, love sports, and they liked playing basketball together, and their team was the Gateway Gators, and it was sponsored by a local program for the mentally handicapped. So on the 24th, they all go to a basketball game together. They drove to Chico to go to the game, and it was to watch UC Davis play against Chico State. And the next day, so that's the 24th, on the 25th, they had their own game, like, that they were playing in. And they were so excited, And it was a big deal. It was sponsored by the Special Olympics, and there was, like, a big prize where whoever won was going to get to go to L.A. They were, like, psyched about this game. Their game was at the same, like, stadium that they were seeing the UC Davis? No, no, no. Different. So they were driving, like, the night before, they're like, we're going to road trip together to go watch this game, Mm -hmm. this college basketball game. The next day, we're playing our Special Olympics-sponsored game. What I'm trying to basically say is the night they went missing, they had a big deal thing the next day yeah. they all planned to be at. They yeah. were all excited to be at to a level where a lot of the parents report that these guys like laid out their uniforms on their bed already. Oh, like they that's were that so level excited. So when they go to the basketball game on the 24th at night, Matthias drove them 50 miles north to Chico and he drives a turquoise and, wh- and white Mercury Montego. Davis wins. They drive a short distance to a place called Bears Market in downtown Chico, and they buy snacks, and they buy soda and whatever, like cartons of milk there. And were they seen there? Definitely. Okay. So they go into this market, they buy these snacks, and it was the clerk that testifies to this mm-hmm. says, like, she extra remembered it because they came in right before closing, and she was kind of, like, annoyed. <laughs> Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah. I was about to close. That's annoying. That's the trick is if you go somewhere in precarious, just make sure you make a big scene so that you're always remembered for after. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe I just, just make like scenes everywhere. Everywhere. So everywhere. people are it's like, I practice. remember that horrible person. So if I ever were to go to Missing, people would be like, I for sure remember that heinous woman. Yeah. Everywhere you go, just everywhere cause go. a ruckus. Yeah. And in New York, that's tough. Oh, yeah. You have to really you stand out. You have to really out. go for it. Yeah. So, you know, these are things I'm working on. Yeah, hashtag goals. Um, (laughs) So none of them were seen alive after that, and their parents, like, wait up for them. They don't return. Their parents call the police. Uh, I can't even imagine what that's like as a parent. I can't even talk about it. I'll actually lose my mind. So the police search, like, the route the men had taken to Chico, Mm -hmm. and a ranger at the National Forest says he saw a car parked along Oroville Quincy Road Full disclosure, I'm going to say places that mean, like, nothing to me. As soon as you said Orville, I think I actively tuned out. Okay, I was like, I yeah, don't you're know like a place. Those. I know. I know. Um, somebody knows that place. Somebody yeah, lives somebody, near here, mm-hmm. and that that's a real place there. On the 25th, he saw a car there, so he leads police to that car on the 28th. Was it a turquoise? It was Mantego? the car. It was the car. Manchego? Spoiler said- alert. It was, it was the car. The turquoise, by the way, it sounds like a gorgeous court. Turquoise and white. Oh, Gorge. great choice. That's what I'd pick. The car had empty wrappers and cartons from the store run that we just talked about. Oh. And the location was like already weird. Like already they're like, what the fuck? How did it's it get 70 there? miles from Chico, but it's not in route from Chico to Yuba City or to Marysville, the two places these guys live. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's where were they going was it is the already the question. Was it direction 70 miles? I don't think it's like perfectly opposite, but it certainly was like, wait, How, where, where were the they fuck going? were you yeah, going? Was sure. like the vibe when they found it. Also, like they couldn't figure out why everyone had left the car. 
Okay, so it was snowy. It's in a forest. And it was like kind of stuck in the snow. But it, we're talking about five adult men. And they said that by looking at how the car was stuck, they were like, no, no, they could have gotten the car dislodged yeah. and it wouldn't have been that big a thing. There's no obvious reason why this car was abandoned. Also, something that was really weird was, so they look at the bottom of the car and yeah. it's not busted at all. So the undercarriage yeah. was in like great shape. Okay. I wish I could say that about me after childbirth. <laughs> my undercarriage is in great shape. It's going to be many years before my undercarriage is back in great shape. But but it was in really great shape to give birth to a beautiful now two-year-old, you know, after your flight. I'm He's so two. blessed. So um, So that's weird that the undercarriage would have been in good shape because... If it was stuck. It was a bumpy, weird area to drive. Like, it's this national forest. They're, like, kind of off-roading-ish. So it's this vibe of, like, if the bottom of the car looked good, there's, like, one of two things you would think. You would either think they drove very deliberately and slowly, or you would think it the was person dragging. driving the car was really familiar with the road. And that was not the case. We know that... Madruga wasn't familiar at all with the road. So I think it made them feel like was like, who was driving this yeah. car? And did they know very much where they were going in it? Yeah. Because this feels wrong that the car looks like this underneath. That was like just another this is fishy yeah. vibe. Also, the car window was unrolled. The car was left unlocked. Madruga's parents are like, he was pretty crazy about his car, like wouldn't have let someone else drive it, wouldn't have left the window down. All these Madrugas things felt... and Matthias were the only ones that had uh, licenses, but it was Madruga's car. Right, and he yeah. wouldn't have let someone else drive yeah. it, they say. So they're investigating this, like, around the car, and a huge snowstorm comes, and it sort of just delays their situation because they uh, were, like, using helicopters. Does. They were using horseback to, like, navigate the craziness. how big is this forest that they're in? I mean, it's a national forest. That sounds big. It definitely doesn't sound small, right? Yeah. Let's say miles and miles and miles, many, many miles. <laughs> As an expert on national forests, I think we can safely say it was many, many miles. Many miles. Yes, thank you. I was seeking that translation. Right. National forest is many, many miles. Noted. Noted. Let me tell you about Joseph Shans. Joseph Shans is probably the last person that maybe saw them alive. This is a crazy fucked up story. So he ends up calling the police and he's like, funny story, not so funny. I accidentally ended up spending the night in this forest on February 24th near that car. And my situation was <gasps> this. I drove up to the mountains. I, in this case, you're, I am you're Joseph. Of- I'm playing the role of Joseph Shans. Mm-hmm. Um, really hope I get this Oscar nomination. Um, <laughs> it's just an honor to be nominated, it's honestly. It's just an honor, it really frankly. It really is. He drove up to the mountains where he had a cabin and he gets stuck in the snow. And in the process of getting out and trying to free his car, he's like, oh, fuck, I think I'm having a heart attack. (gasps) So he gets back in the car to keep warm and like keeps running the heat and is like, what should I do? Totally. Six hours later, he's still lying in his car, basically having a heart attack. Oh, God. And he sees headlights come up behind him. And looking out, he sees a car parked behind him with the headlights on with a group of people uh, around the car. And he says, one of them looks like they were maybe a mom with a baby, like holding a baby. So you're like, what's that about? He calls to them for help. And when he calls to them for help, they stop 
talking and turn off the headlights. That is not the response you'd like to see. Later, later, flashlights replace the headlights. There's flashlights bobbing around back there. And he calls to them again. The flashlights go out. What in the actual fuck? Was there like a stranger danger fear there? Um, For whom? For them? For five grown men? Okay, I'm glad you asked that actually because no, Tom Weir's mom hearing this story was like, that's not like my son. He and Bill Sterling helped someone they knew go to the hospital when they had like OD'd on Valium. So despite any handicaps these men have, it doesn't fit the profile that they wouldn't have helped. Gotcha. At all. So let's like complete the Joseph Sean's day because I don't want you guys to worry about him after that crazy heart attack situation. His car runs out of gas in the early morning hours, so he's not going to be able to like keep the heat going and his pain is like chilled out enough. So he walks (gasps) eight miles to the lodge he was going to and this manager drives him back home. They pass the Montego at that point, the car. So he actually sees in the light of day, that was that weird car where those people were being weirdos. So he saw the car and says that's where the voices originated from. Okay, June 4th is where we're at, guys. It's three months after these men go missing. A group of motorcyclists are in this forest, and they find a trailer that's maintained by the Forest Service. The front window smashed, so they go up and look in, and, like, stinky death smell punches them in the face. And they're like, this is terrible. Weir's body is found inside. He's all wrapped up. In eight sheets, his pant legs are rolled up over his knees and reveal blood poisoning and gangrene and five toes that were lost to frostbite. They do forensic analysis of, like, how much his beard has grown. I don't know how long he's in the trailer, but he survived four to six weeks after he was (gasps) in the trailer. And he shed 80 to 100 pounds from his 200-pound frame. On the table next to him, next to the bed was um like his wallet with cash in it a nickel ring that said ted on it his name a gold necklace he wore and on the table was a gold watch which where's family say was not his and there was a partially melted candle that's everything next to him on the dresser he was wearing a velour shirt and lightweight pants but his shoes could not be found so the searchers come back and they decide to look between the car and the trailer and they end up discovering madruga and sterling And Madruga's body had been eaten by animals and was just like bones. Two days later, Hewitt's dad joins the search party and finds his own son's fucking backbone. His son's backbone? Yeah. That's it? The sheriff finds the skull after that. The autopsies are all basically saying these guys died of hypothermia. That's like cause of death. And then obviously, you know, Gary Mathias was not found. But it's possible. Because he hadn't taken his meds, they, like, distribute his information to surrounding psychiatric and mental institutions, assuming that that might be where he ended up and nothing's found. The weird thing about Weir that we just talked about who was found in the trailer was that he was emaciated. That was one of the reasons he died. It was hypothermia and, like, starvation, essentially. The trailer was stocked with plenty of canned and dried food and a can opener. And only 12 cans had been opened. Like, the rest are just sitting there. He didn't turn on a propane tank, which was there, that would have provided heat for the entire trailer. There were paperback books. There were things he could burn. Was Weir the one who would had to be dragged out of the house with the fire? 
Yeah. No. So you're like, was that a common sense issue? But he wasn't the only one there, it looks like. I mean, it seems like he was the only one that made it there if everybody else was like... But like, no one covered the broken window of the trailer where they broke it. Like, yes, the behavior that he's exhibiting if he left all those things undone is behavior that would have been consistent with what we know about how his brain Mm -hmm. worked. But it also doesn't seem like he was alone in the trailer the whole time. Yeah. And I guess you could say that maybe someone was there helping him open those cans and then they left to go get help or something and he couldn't figure out how to open the cans or didn't think to open the cans. But it is... Super bizarre. Basically, Matthias and possibly Hewitt had been in the trailer with him because Matthias's sneakers are in the trailer. And remember, Weir's shoes are not. So it almost looked like Matthias had taken off his tennis shoes and put on Weir's, like, more serious boots to go out. Oh, that's so weird. But, like, the sheets, they also said the sheets, the eight sheets that were wrapped around him, he couldn't have done with the pain he would have been having with his gangrene in his feet. Like, it looked like somebody else had wrapped him up. Ugh. So they have, like, a theory. Matthias had friends in a small town, and they believed it was possible that in an attempt to visit them on the way back home, he was like, here's where my friends live, and they took a wrong turn and got lost on the mountain road. But what is still confusing is, say that was the deal, and then they got stuck in the snow and mm-hmm. couldn't figure out how to get the car out. Why did they keep going that direction? Up? Into the mountains? Yeah higher elevation instead of back because they would have passed like a lodge on the drive why didn't they go back to the lodge the lodge is like where the heart attack guy went yeah and they also said purposeful motion the direction they traveled it on foot is not consistent with when you think you're lost because when people are lost you see them do circular patterns they don't do purposeful motion interesting i mean i I do feel like some of that can be you know the way they process information might have been different that's so tough. Uh, also, there had been a snowcat on the road that had been, like, plowing in that direction. Yeah. So they think that maybe they saw, like, the where the snowcat had plowed and they, like, were kind of following that track thinking it would, like, lead to something. Lead them. It was going through, like, four to six foot snowdrifts, but it would have been, like, a track maybe they thought it would lead to shelter. And basically, it seems like Madruga and Sterling died of hypothermia froze while they were walking. And then we are Matthias and Hewitt maybe made it to the trailer. Yeah. Since it was locked, maybe they were like, well, this is private property. So they were trying to like, I don't know, not engage with the property, not turn on the heat, not maybe eat the food right away. I'm not really sure. Um, But there was no sign of Matthias other than his tennis shoes, which had been left in the trailer. And almost certainly they think, as I said, that he took Weir's leather shoes Then the questions just come up. It's like, why did they turn east? Why didn't they attempt to move the car once it got stuck? Was Um, it them at the car? If there was like a a woman with a baby. Was there really a woman with a baby? Or was that guy like seeing things because he was having a heart attack and was Mm -hmm. like maybe a little bit hallucinating? Um, Did they by chance come by that trailer? Or did somebody that we don't know about lead them there? Why didn't they start a fire for warmth? If Matthias went for help, why haven't we... It's 41 years. Why hasn't anyone found his body? It seems like he would have not made it. I mean, but it's crazy that there's a backbone and a skull. I think it's plausible that, like, could Matthias's, like, whole body be eaten? I don't know. Bones? You would find something. You would find something. We don't know what happened. There are some theories that I want to illuminate. Obviously, the parents are having a really hard time with this. And they're trying to come up with what might have happened. And Jack Madruga's mother said she believed some force had led them astray. She said, we know good and well somebody made them do it. 
it was impossible for her to believe Madruga would drive his car into an area where it might be damaged. She prized it. And she said, I'm positive he never would have went up there on his own. He was either tricked or threatened. Ted Weir's sister-in-law had a theory that, like, the men saw something at the basketball game they shouldn't have seen in or around, maybe in the parking lot, whatever it was, and that they were being pursued because they seemed so determined to move forward, Mm -hmm. never back. And why would that be the case if you were lost, that you wouldn't backtrack? Maybe there was was something scary right behind them was that idea. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Matthias. Basically, this information that I got on him is from the Sacramento Bee, and they were actually allowed to access all the police records from this case. Wow. Yeah. So they had a lot of interesting things. And they say... Sacramento really coming in hot in terms of like self-discovery. The police feel like pretty open. Yeah. In Sacramento. Sacktown police. They were like, do what you will. They were like, you can't take photos of them or take them out, but they let them look at them. They say that the files, clips, and interviews shape a disturbing image of Matthias. Billed in virtually all media reports at the time as another lost lamb caught out in the cold, Matthias was an aberration within the flock a young man who did not belong with the others. He was violently schizophrenic, had a history of drug use, and was not intellectually disabled like the others. He was like a football player in high school. He served in the military. He did have a problem with drugs. He was put in a psychiatric facility after like a bad trip that he was on when he was in high school. And as we said earlier, he was medically discharged from the army for paranoid schizophrenia. After he was discharged... Life kind of slippery slope. Yeah. He, when he was in jail, he called over a guard and punched him in the face. Well. Yeah. Uh, And that same month, I guess, he was out of jail and he was staying at his cousin's house. His cousin's wife is asleep and she had some sort of serious illness that she was on, like, heavy medication for. Mm -hmm. So, like, pretty sedated. Matthias, like, goes to use the bathroom and the cousin's like, this is taking a long time. Is it a number two? What's going on? So he, like, goes... And catches this guy, Matthias, fondling his wife while she's <gasps> highly medicated. Oh, um, no, 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 And no. his cousin was like, I'm obviously I'm calling the police. And Matthias was like, that's fine. I want to go back to jail. So interesting personality type. He again was arrested a few months later. He went to a couple's house that he knew after he shot up meth. He was also taking, you know, like Benny's. Yeah. He started acting weird, and he said that he wanted to stab a woman in the jaw. He was telling this couple that. And then he told the couple's three-year-old, I thought I killed you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. (laughs) Can you imagine somebody saying that to your kid? I'm like, that's not playing. That's not fun. So they pretend? Not happy, obviously. The other crazy part of his history is he had a history of breaking out of facilities and of walking very long distances. There was like something in him that gave him the power to do that. I mean, we were talking about this last week with um, Elisa Lamb, like the thought that like when you have some sort of mental illness, sometimes it can manifest in extreme adrenaline and strength. And there's something like that that sounds like was going on with him because after he was arrested at one point, he was sent to a psychiatric facility and he spent two days there and then he broke out through a drainage pipe and he did like a combo of walking and hitchhiking for 80 miles back to his house. That's not even as crazy as this. At one point, he leaves his home to live with his grandma in Oregon, and his mom calls him, and she, like, begs him to come home, 
and they have kind of like a fight and he hangs up on her. But then he shows up a few weeks later and he's fucking filthy and bedraggled. And he says that he walked from Portland home to California and he survived by stealing milk off people's porches and eating dog food. And that's a 540 mile trip. So like if he was wearing a Fitbit, it probably exploded. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what the weather was. It wasn't a snowdrifts the way this forest was, but that's pretty bananas. After coming home after this trip, I think he breaks into a Yuba County couple's house and they wake up and he's standing in their bedroom. No, 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 no. I don't like that. Well, he he told them why, Carrie. Do you want to know why he was standing in their bedroom? I would love to know why. He had a very, he had two very good reasons. The first was that he told them they owed him rent money, that that was his house and that they needed to pay him rent. So you wake up and they're like... That is like just terrifying because like when there's something like that where it's like there's pay no me the rhyme rent. or reason, but there's Oh, reason. just pay that guy rent for sure, first oh, of all. Oh, I feel like what's... Yeah, let me... Oh, God. No, no, no. I did. Okay, do you want to know the second reason uh-huh. he was there? He was looking for a ring he had to return to Satan. So I would just get him that ring, get him that rent, Give and him call the ring, it him the rent, call it a day. He a owns day. it. He lives there now. Maybe get a security system sponsored by Simply Safe. I don't know. You figure it out. Simply Safe <laughs> was not in that home, but after that, I would wager it was. After that, ADT. This is a home protected by ADT. So the good news is, after that, beyond creepily. Peeply's incident he supposedly like kind of cleaned up his act and he joined gateway projects gateway projects was like where he met these men Mm -hmm. where he joined their basketball team it sounds like this person Um, just needed to be medicated and like have some medical intervention which it sounds like it also like he did it seemed like he did a 180 change but there were people in his life that were kind of like i mm, i don't know if that's true like he had like a long time acquaintance um janet and zara she said that he one time told her no not one time more than one time told her that he had a dream that he disappeared with a group of people that's a weird dream maybe he's like maybe he actually knows satan though maybe satan he didn't need to maybe it was satan or satan this You're right. Is- Maybe it was that he didn't return that ring to Satan. That's what's up this whole thing in motion. Mm-hmm. We'll never know. We'll never know. Unless we find him. It's just weird that, like, clearly, neurologically, he has, like, a different issue from the four other boys entirely. It's so different. It's so different. He's not handicapped the way that they are. Not in the same way at all. They all said, though, like, he was also just a per- different personality type than they were. He didn't seem like the other four. And he would have been the most likely to suggest going somewhere or to yeah. leading And let's be very clear, there's a very high chance that he met a similar fate and that they just did not recover this body. That's super likely, but... I don't know, my money is that he walked a very, very, very long distance and, you know... And another thought is, so he knew he had this basketball game that he was going to play in the next day? What if because of that, he was excited too? And what if he forfeited taking some of his medication his schizophrenia meds because the side effects were like drowsiness and lethargy. Maybe he was trying to be like bright and on for the game. Maybe he had a manic episode and thought things that were not true. And if he had like more of the leadership personality, he could have been on like a manic schizophrenic mission and been like, and you're all coming with me and this is what has to get done. And these boys don't have the wherewithal to understand that that's what's happening or to say no. It's very clear from, like, his history that he was 
strong. He was a fighter. He was willing to do whatever. He's going to eat dog food to survive. You know, he's going to walk 540 miles to get somewhere. But the other weird thing is, given his history, it seems like if he had made it out alive, if he had gotten away, he would not have had his medication. It would have been hard for him to continue to stay off the grid. He would have been arrested for something. Nobody knows where he is. Uh, That is the story of the Yuba County Five. Those poor families. Horrible. Horribly sad. And to not have that closure. Well, I'm glad they recovered the bodies so that the families at least had that and cause. It's so weird, though, because you're like, they have cause of death, but they really don't. Because just saying somebody froze to death. But by it being frozen to death, it does feel like they got themselves in a sticky situation. It feels less sinister than, like, some wound. To me, what breaks my heart is, like, we are lost for 80 to, like, 100 pounds and, like... 100 pounds off, like, his 200-pound frame. And he had... And he had food next to him. The helplessness there is is so upsetting. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. And it's so sad they missed the game. They were so excited. Anyway, really sad story. But really mystery story. Really mystery. You can't deny. That it was truly darkly, darkly creepy. creepy. You yeah, can't deny that. No. Well, I guess. I hope you have a really uplifting tale. Mine is a mysterious. Mystery? Mystery. That's my favorite kind of mystery. I'm glad that I get to listen now. My story is about the death of Rodney Marks. So Rodney Marks was an Australian astrophysicist employed at the South Pole in the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory. I had to write that down. That was a mouthful. It's a mouthful. That is a lot. So basically, he's working on the South Pole mm-hmm. as a researcher. So he's like a smart scientist guy, right? Um, so he's working on the Antarctic Submillimeter Telescope and Remote Observatory, a research project for the University of Chicago at the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. Pause for a fa- Are you familiar? Have you been? The Amundsen? The, yeah. I think that's an Amundsen. A-M-U-N-D-S-E-N. Dunna. Dunna. Not familiar. Basically, fucking South Pole. Like, Santa is in the north with the elves. This guy is in Antarctica just by himself. Do you know what I mean? Not by himself. It's already scary, it's though. It's already scary. Like, could you imagine? Is this going to be a Bigfoot story? Don't tell me. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You ruined it. Yeah, Okay. So he was like fairly young. I looked at pictures. He looks like a mountaineer man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's pretty lonely down there. It's one of the most remote places on earth. He was engaged to this woman, Sonia Walter, who was, they use this word overwintering, which I don't understand. I think it means like, but she was basically a maintenance specialist at the base in order to be with him. So he had a fiance. On May 11th, 2000, he became sick between the remote observatory and the base, the main base. Mm -hmm. So he had gone to the doctor three times over a 36-hour period. He had a feverish, he had stomach pains, he had nausea, and it was getting like progressively worse. And it was kind of this mysterious thing because he's like a fairly healthy person. So he went to the doctor three times, he got sicker, and since they were in the middle of nowhere, they sought advice via satellite um, from like an on-land doctor. But on 36 hours on May 12th, he dies. Mm-hmm. 
So they release a statement that's like, apparently he died of natural causes, but the specific cause of death has yet to be determined. But because he's in the middle of nowhere and it's super remote, they can't fly his body out. So they have to put his body in a freezer for six months before they can send it out and get an autopsy. So I've been reading that he was a drinker. And Mm -hmm. so they were like, oh, it probably was like he drank himself. You know, something happened with his body, but it was natural causes. Right. Right. Well, you're alone in the South Pole. What else? I mean, what else are you gonna do? Play solitaire. Do you know what I mean? Have a beverage. And but he has his fiance there, right? So they um, flew his body to Christchurch, New Zealand, which is the base for American activities and Antarctica. Yeah, little do you know, right? That's so strange. Weird, right? (laughs) That like you know, but I guess it's the closest. I've actually been there. You've been to Christchurch. I've been to Christchurch. I was in seventh grade, and it was beautiful. Well, they have, like, an American base from their Antarctic research center. Wild. So, finally, six months later, they were able to perform an autopsy. And so they're just, like, looking for cause of death. They think it's going to be natural. And once the autopsy was done, they found that he had needle marks on his arms, but his body was free of illegal drugs. The death was, in fact, not related to alcohol abuse after all. Um, and it was revealed that he died of methanol poisoning. What? Somebody injected him with something. I mean, this is the mystery. This is the tea, right? So okay. basically, I had to look up methanol poisoning because, like, I didn't know what that was. Do you guys know what that is? Do you know? No, I just okay. picture poison. Like, I'm picturing skull that and crossbones poison. poison. That's what I'm yeah. picturing. Um, so methanol poisoning symptoms include decreased level of consciousness, poor coordination, vomiting, abdominal pain, and specific smell on the breath. And toxicity and death may occur even after drinking a small amount. Methanol poisoning most commonly occurs following the drinking of windshield washer fluid. So somebody injected him. Or he ingested. No, like this is the mystery. Well, the needle marks are super telling, right? Well, or, mm. or something, right? So was he diabetic? No, I think that would have come up if he. You're had right. You're marks. right. But okay. okay, so this may thought have, I solved so, it. <laughs> Damn yeah, it! That's it. Contact, contact <laughs> the press. So it could have been accident. It's sometimes it's done accidentally if you ingest it, or purposely by suicide. Right. Right. It can also occur through skin exposure or breathing in the fumes. Also, something about methanol is outbreaks have occurred due to contamination of drinking alcohol. Basically, what they thought this guy died just of natural causes, all of a sudden, methanol poisoning became the cause of death. Which, by the way, my question is, like, how is that still in his body six months later? Like, how do you preserve a body six months later? Well, I guess freezing it. Which I'm like, you just can throw it outside everything. in Antarctica specifically. Just like, you know, it's pretty fucking cold there. Yeah, why even buy the freezer? You know? So, anyway, so uh, there was a big investigation led by Detective Senior Sergeant DSS Grant Wormald. Of the New Zealand police. What a name. What a GD Wormald. name. Wormald. Game on. That's a creepy name. So um, there's a couple of theories. So immediately when they find out methanol poisoning, they're like, okay, so some investigators thought that Marks, um, Ronnie, was driven to alcohol by the loneliness and desolation of being in Antarctica. We made the joke. Um, he could have ingested methanol on purpose in an attempt to commit suicide. However, like, that's been disproven because... Why? Yeah, that's... How can you disprove intent? Well, he went to the doctor thrice 
for the sickness. Like he went. So seeking. he's like, Do you I like want to get. Did the thrice make Sarah laugh? He <sighs> went thrice. I love to use thrice, and it's a good word. I have a question about the Please. thrice. So the thought is, he was trying to get better. This is not somebody looking to kill themselves. If you're sick or something, and you know you ingested this like poison, if you were going to the doctor, you'd be like oh my God, I ingested this poison. Help me. And did you know methanol poisoning, you know what can be cured by? Hmm. Ethanol. So rubbing alcohol like could cure methanol poisoning. It reminds me of like when you spill red wine and, and you get it out white, white wine. wine. Same thing. Same, same. But like body versus white carpet, right? I wonder how so, many more things like that there are. Yeah, we should always we just should try. Always know, like I would think we should, one, make a big scene wherever you're at in New York so that you're memorable and also carry the anecdote for any sort of poison on you. Just an antidote. Just, I'll have pack. some witch hazel, some ethanol, alcohol. and some fucking white wine. You and better believe it. some white wine. You better believe Or red wine, depending on which one. No, you Camelback. Want. Camelback. <laughs> Camelback white wine. Everywhere. Have you heard there's a thing called the wine rack? I already rack? do that, so that part I don't have to do. Do you know there's about. a thing called the wine rack where like it's a bra and you wear it to concert venues and you fill it with wine and it's called the wine rack so you can get through security without because having to Because they buy. can't look at your boobies? Yeah, and there's also one called the beer belly where you can like wear it like, like you have a beer belly but it's just beer in there. That's so smart. So Wormald um, states, in my view, it is most likely Marx ingested the methanol unknowingly. But Marx is like a genius research scientist guy. I'm like picturing him in a lab coat in a lab, like he's like a cartoon Bill Nye sort of character in my brain. I feel like I would replace like white coat with like a Patagonia puffy jacket, like doing the work. He's an astrophysicist. But does he have like different beakers beakers that are smoking and one of them has something that he accidentally ingests? Is that a thing? So the presence of methanol at the camp was um, as... A diluted form in cleaning supplies. So because it's usually windshield wiper fluid, it like helps. It's like antifreeze, basically, mm-hmm. I think. And so, of course, all it the would cleaning have been product, everywhere. It would have been everywhere. But it was all diluted in cleaning supplies. Like there was no like And the content methanol. they find in his body, they're like, it's not from sniffing But I mean, he had methanol wiper. poisoning. And it, I think it's like death could happen with 10 milliliters. But mm-hmm. I think real toxicity is 100 milliliters. So it's not a lot that you need to ingest in order to have an issue, right? So, um... Then I buy the accident. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. But there's some other, like, kind of questionable things about it. There's some fishy business. Um, No one can rule out the possibility that someone slipped a drop or two into Mark's drink. So that's possible. But most of the people, like, if it was an accident, most of the people in the camp were smart enough to know the consequences of that action. So he, Wormald said, um, it's not credible to believe that he had accidentally dropped the methanol. And so that's the other thing. The camp had a huge bar. So it's like, it's weird that he would accidentally consume methanol. What do you mean? The idea is he drank methanol to get drunk? Possible. So that's the other, I mean, yeah. No, 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 no. So, he's not like an eighth grade, and he's like, right? I'm not allowed, so I'll have to drink this this like windshield Windex. wiper. Yeah. So <laughs> I drink a lot of Windex in eighth grade. That's why. I, <laughs> That's ammonia, baby. Sniffing the white ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no suicide attempt. Accidental seems like fairly unlikely, although that's where your vote is. And then foul play also is like kind of an issue there. It's just kind of a mystery. So we're going to fast forward. This is in 2000. They reopened it in 2006. But in 2007, there was this article that was posted. I think it was in the New Zealand Times. But basically, they brought up the fact 
that they obtained documents that suggested diplomatic heat was brought to bear on the New Zealand inquiry. So this New Zealand police officer or police detective was doing all of this information. Now, there were 49 people on the base with him at that time, which it's like seems like a police officer's wet dream to have like a completely isolated group of people. When he reached out to the Americans for the base on the base for interviews, only 13 of the 49 spoke with him. So out of all everyone of else was like taking the fifth. Basically, basically. I don't want to talk to you about what happened. Basically. And that's the other thing that's challenging is like, because they found out this poisoning six months later, like, what can you do? Like, go back well, and, like... Well, what I would wonder is, you when you say 49 people, it seems like everyone would have a relationship of yeah. some sort. Mm-hmm. So then, what I'd be nervous about, if somebody then said, now let me talk to you about this, and I had found out it was poisoning, I'd be nervous of the inevitable question, did he have any enemies? Because if he did a mm-hmm. little bit, if there was somebody that yeah. fought with him and didn't like him... I'm now in a position where I am obligated to say that. And just by saying it, even if I don't think that person did anything, I'm now sort of awkward accusing a buddy of murder. (laughs) Of the murder. So So I get that. So it's very strange. Apparently, the territory on which the station is built has long since been a source of controversy between the U.S. and New Zealand. Though it's a U.S. base and most of the people who work there are Americans, the land is claimed by New Zealand. Um, When the New Zealand investigators asked the U.S. for information on the scientists that were stationed at the base, the U.S. declined to comment or aid Wormold's investigation at all. Which, that to me is fishy. Like, why why aren't we cooperating? Is there any... Instead, they conducted an investigation of their own, the U.S. government, which they didn't share with Wormald or make public to him. To this day, no one knows how far the investigation went or how much the U.S. was able to find out. So there's, like, some lack of communication. So Wormald commented on the people that weren't speaking or to him or whatnot. Um, and so he said, we wanted the results of the internal investigation and to get in contact with people who were there to ask them some questions. They weren't prepared to tell us who were there. They have advised that no report exists. And then he says, to be frank, I think there is more there. There must be. So the U.S. was maybe protecting... Who knows? I do know it was stated somewhere that the station doctor who treated on him has been unknown since some time after 2006. So no one knows where this doctor is. Got it. Obviously, his parents are, like, trying to find answers, but they're pretty fucking hopeless at this point. Yeah. Because six months after it, they can't find anything. Right. Police, like, they're not cooperating with each other. Paul Marks, Rodney's father is quoted as saying, and I um, don't think we are going to find out any more in regards to how Rodney died. I'd see that as a fruitless exercise. So the family has kind of given up hope. They've lost hope. They've yeah. lost hope to find out what happened. Well, if no one's going to work together. The coroner cannot find evidence. So you yeah. don't know the name of the doctor treating him? Yeah, you're not going to figure no, this out. No, his name is um, Robert Thompson, but he's been unknown since 2006. What does that mean, he's been unknown? Like, they don't know where he is. They don't know where he went. Okay. Which maybe is, he's with Matthews. Maybe he is with Matthews. Let's oh my God, totally. <laughs> um, it's still a mystery. So what we love are some Reddit theories. I love a Reddit we theory. We love a Reddit theory. So with the two injection marks on his arm, people had theorized, which I actually don't love this theory, but people theorized that like someone was like, you can get really fucked up by injecting yourself 
with this alcohol. But again, he's a fucking scientist. And I feel like... It just doesn't feel like him. It just doesn't work. So this thing, apparently Rodney Mark's workspace was notoriously messy. So like bottles of lab agents like methanol and ethanol were often strewn around alongside a dozen or empty bottles of alcohol. So this seems like a possible thing where the methanol... Just a careless guy. Basically, like, the base apparently made a homemade moonshine, which I think is, like, pretty surprising. And they used ethanol, like, rubbing alcohol, so maybe that got mixed. I just feel like in a research facility with a bunch of, like, scientists, like, I know people have different, like, ways of thinking. But I also feel like to switch those two things, like, just feels carelessly ding-dongy. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Rodney also might have... um, accidentally ingested the methanol during the process of distilling his own liquor, which again, that was shot down because they were well stocked with their own liquor cabinet at the base. Because when you're in the Antarctic tundra, girls got to drink. You know what I mean? Like, you better believe they were like, um, we need food, water, shelter, and booze. 100%. Yeah, but maybe it was like a hobbyist thing. I mean, I guess if you're out it's there and you're possible. like, I'm going to try to make a fun cocktail. Methanol cocktail. Methanol cocktail. He was an experienced scientist, and the likelihood that he or any of the other experienced scientists around him would risk drinking a homemade spirit was extremely low. That's what someone had said as well. My favorite theory Mm. um, is there is also a claim that several workers reported that Marx was seen with an exotic-looking bottle of liquor that he picked up in New Zealand with Portuguese writing. Some developing nations in Southeast Asia have been known to have vendors who sell tainted alcohol that contains methanol. So that theory is that there's like wow, a mysterious blame looking the Portuguese. Yeah, there's like a mysterious looking like snake oil salesman like bottle. But no one else drank it but, but him. No one else drank it from him. And clearly, like you don't need a lot of methanol to have poisoning if this base is really the boozed up haven that they claim to be mm-hmm. like i doubt that somebody wouldn't have also drank that as well he also had a fiance That's and she the was like with all of kind it of, sort of it's like all of it's about like accidentally drinking tainted whatever but it just seems odd that he would have then had to not share it with anyone and mm-hmm. polish it all off there's a lot of, like, I don't know what's happening. It's weird that only 13 people spoke to them that the American investigation concluded. And, like, there's just some peculiar sort of things. That is weird. But, I, I mean, I'm not a scientist. Yeah, I should tell you. I'm not a scientist. I feel like I should have prefaced that. I'm not a scientist. But, but are you a doctor? Am I, I am a doctor candidate. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got a call back for one, so I think I'm just, like, waiting for it. But... I'm also like, does methanol, like, produce or something in the body? Because apparently, I guess what happens is it creates, like, chain reactions that I think, like, create formaldehyde Mm. or things like that in the body. So I'm like, did someone try to embalm this guy? I don't know. There's just, like, something is fishy. But for now, Rodney Marks remains the South Pole's only murder. And it is yet unsolved. Wow. Mm-hmm. Creeply. Creeply. And also, like, the South Pole in and of itself is just it's, creepy. Well, who knows? Super dork-sided. Yeah. Or light, depending on the year. 
get is it. Is that true? Well, right? Because isn't it, Earth is on an axis. And so that's why in May, when he died, they had to wait six months because it's on the South Pole. So that was during their winter. Right. And so I assume everything was like dark. But like, could you imagine like you're already in the South Pole. It's about to get really dark because it's winter and the Earth is tilting the other way. And it's going to be fucking cold. And then someone dies and then their body is going to be on the base for six months with you. Because they can't fly it back. Talk about getting haunted if you fucked with him. Wow. Yeah. I love the snake oil theory. Again, that's my... Well, I like picturing what that, what the packaging just like was a, primarily, ooh. like what, yeah. Also like. And I actually pictured snakes as like I part do, of the like label. the design for, for sure. sure. It was just sure. like two twisted snakes. They don't snakes, say snakes. Like doing a staring contest at yeah, each other. Yeah, like it's like poison. That girl is poison. You're going to have it in my head all day. You, you, you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to probably, uh, we bleep probably that. have to bleep that. Yeah. And you guys are going to be so curious what we bleeped. <laughs> it's a bleep. <laughs> it's next time, just point at me and I'll do the bleeping. We could so probably save was, a lot of money and time that way. It was a commercial for bleep. That was good teamwork. <laughs> I love it when we work as a team. Um, and yes, we are comfortable with that. We. We, we, we. The we, royal we. we, we. we. The we. No, me and Quinn are comfortable being a team, we're comfortable bleeping each other. The TDC team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you like how I just let that roll right off? <gasps> the TDC team. Yeah. Love Sounds that. like an illness, but. I also have to tell you, did you know that the Bed Bath & Beyond in like South Slope area, if you walk into it, they have a statue of Captain America. Stop. And I took a picture and I was like. He's this everywhere. Is he's everywhere. Because he's everywhere to me. And he's haunting. And he's me. haunting Wilkoa. And it's. It was crazy that I went, after hearing the story, I went to the Bed Bath & Beyond, and there was a Captain America, who, by the way, America's ass. America. I just thought you should know that he's following me now. He's, yeah, he's after us. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a Truly Darkly Creepily episode just on Captain I mean, I will, I will keep you guys updated Please with do. my personal haunting. Um, if he shows up, if Captain America shows up in my home, we might have some issues on our hands. Well, that would be a really good... TDC story, so I'm sort of crossing my fingers on that one. <laughs> um, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank for you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, follow, rate, review, rate, rom-com. I don't know. Yeah, adventure. Rom- adventure. Party. You've been listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. Thanks. Bye.